Chats from the Blog Cabin. This is your favorite time of the week with your number one one podcast. y'all welcome back to another episode of chats from the blog cabin you know the show where i virtually invite people into the blog cabin to chat about life and today we're chatting all about old-fashioned values as well as writing christian-based books and thomas i thank you for coming on i will have to really apologize i do not have your books right with me my 19 year old absconded with them and i don't know what she did with them but she was reading them so i apologize for not having them to show people so welcome to the show thomas that's okay. Thank you very much, Melissa. I'm grateful to be with you here today. So tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into talking about your books. Okay, sure. Uh, the question that every introvert hates, right? Tell me about yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I grew up in, in the Midwest, in the Chicago area. Um, I moved to four different states because of my job and work. Uh, I was up in Wisconsin for a little while, Minnesota, then ended up here in upstate New York, in Rochester. Um, I spent the last 36 years in technology. I'm a systems architect. So I've worked in technology for a very long time, um, putting together systems. I started doing, I've always had a creative kind of gene, I guess you might say. And so whether it be music or, or writing, I've always really liked the creative part. And so I started writing um, probably more of of like fishing books back in about 2000, 2003, that, that time frame, And the, the books always had a morality to them. I always had you know, a deep morality into the books and they were themed that way. But later on in life, um, you know, with different life experiences and just as life went on, I started to get more into my faith and more of the pursuit of God to find out, well, where does this morality come from? Why is it here? What what does it all mean? It has to come from somewhere, right? So, mm-hmm. in that in that pursuit of that, um, I started writing more and more books on on Christianity and a stronger faith based. So you just said that later on in life, you got that really like urge to learn more about the morality and Christian faith. What sparked it? Was there one incident that sparked it? Um, yes, in in two thousand eight. I had one of those, I guess you might call it a defining year. And in that year, if you recall, it was the year that the market had tanked because of the the housing crisis. And so I had lost my job after 20 years of in research and development. They just eliminated the entire research and development department. So I lost my job. And then if that wasn't bad enough, my brother had called me up and he said that he had melanoma cancer. Mm-hmm. And so then it worked out well because because of that losing of my job, I was able to spend more time with my brother in the hospital going through his chemo treatments. So that was a blessing in disguise, actually. And at the same time, my sister who had suffered from multiple sclerosis for about 25 years. Mm-hmm. She also took a turn for the worse, and she ended up in the hospital at the same time. And then how the year ended up um, is in September, my sister had passed away. And then two months later, my brother also passed away Mm -hmm. um, from the cancer. 
and then also like towards the end of that year, my, my wife, she has autoimmune diseases and she had gotten her first one at the end of that year. And so it was just one of those years where it just, it just mm -hmm. crushed me completely. And I didn't create anything. I didn't write anything. I didn't do anything creative. In fact, I thought that I had lost my ability to just create that passion. It took me a while to really, um, to really come back. It was probably two or three years before I started creating anything again. And it just seemed like I was just going through life, just breathing in and out, just surviving, not even really thinking all that much about really anything. Mm -hmm. It was really during that time where I had to figure things out for myself. Well, what about this faith that, that I came from a traditional Catholic family? So it was always it was always part of the family. You know, my parents sent me to Catholic schools. They sent me to church every Sunday. Um, mm -hmm. But it never really made it never clicked and it never really made sense. And I was always one of these kids who asked a lot of questions like, why, why, mm -hmm. <laughs> why is that? Why do we do this? Why do we do that? Right. And, and I never really got some very good answers. And I don't know if it was just because I wasn't listening attentively enough, if I was just you know, miscuing, whatever it might be. I just, I never received good answers. And so then after that year, that's when I really started pursuing and finding out for myself the answers to those whys that I had. And so that was my pursuit of really diving into a lot of theology, reading a lot of scripture, trying to figure out those answers that I think everybody looks to figure out is, okay, God, are you there? Mm -hmm. Why do you hide from us, it, it seems, and, and where are you taking me? Yeah, that is so true. And I can totally empathize with you as far as having a horrible year. Um, a lot of my listeners and viewers know my backstory in 2014. It was a horrible year for us. It was my daughter got diagnosed with epilepsy. We had a car accident and my dad, who was my biggest hero, got put into hospice care and ended up dying later on that year. So I totally Sorry. understand. It just seems like everything back to back to back happens. And you're like, why God, why? Right. And, and those are the questions that really, um, so I was pursuing those and and during that time, I started writing my brother's story in, a, in another novel. And so I wrote his whole story and how it ended up. And that was called Gubber's Gate. And it was during that time that I was also doing a lot of reading and trying to figure out my faith. And it was kind of my back to faith book, I suppose. And even though I didn't understand a lot of the, I didn't have all the answers. <laughs> I was still in that process of pursuing those and even understanding, well, what are the questions? Um, but that was kind of my turn back to the faith and really trying to, to grasp what, what that all was. And then after that, I started writing, um, like, okay, well, what's next for me? What, what should I do? So I started writing another, another kind of secularized morality um, novel mm -hmm. called Oak Creek Lane. And I wasn't maybe uh, two months into that book when seemed like God had a different plan. <laughs> and mm -hmm. when God wants something, he, he's not really quiet about it. No. He, he pokes you pretty hard. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I got these really strong inspirations to really say, okay, yeah, put that aside and we're going to do something else. We're going to try something different this time. And so that's when Penury City uh, came about. Okay, I want to talk about Penury City, but right now we'll take a brief commercial break and then we'll come right back. 
Sounds good. Chats from the blog cabin. Hit subscribe and don't miss the next episode. Chats from the blog cabin. Enjoying this episode? Leave a review now. Homeschooling just got easier and deliciously fun. My new book, Dishing Up Devotions, 36 Faith-Building Activities for Homeschooling Families is a delightful devotional the whole family will love. With encouragement for mom, fun family activities, conversation starters, and simple baking recipes. It's sure to feed your family's faith while building lasting memories in just minutes a week. Branding yourself begins with self-reflection. Taking stock of your strengths. Is there a particular talent that helps you shine? In this series, founder of Pierre Branding Group, Lydia Pierre, sits down with the executives and entrepreneurs to shed light on why it is important to brand yourself and get ahead. And we are back talking with Thomas. He actually, we lost him for a minute, but he's back on. So, Sorry about that. Not a problem. Let's, let's talk about your trilogy. Did, when you first started writing Penary City, did you actually think that it was become a trilogy? Or was it like, oh, I've got so much more in me. I've got to write more about this. Yeah, so the, the process that I typically use is, um, well, for some reason, I always know the beginning of the book and the ending of the book. And then from the beginning, I just write towards that end. And once I start to frame out the characters, they really just take a life on mm -hmm. and they start writing themselves then afterwards. So I had no idea it was going to be a trilogy, not at all. I also found it odd that after I finished, each of the three books were 21 chapters. And I think, well, why 21? And then I, and then I was reading John and it was 21 chapters. <laughs> but, huh. Well, maybe John's in there somewhere too. I don't know. But there's, yeah, so yeah, it was, I never had any idea how long it was going to be. It was more like I just start writing. And then wherever the inspiration leads, wherever God takes me, that's, that's where I go. So let's talk about what exactly for listeners and viewers that don't know about this book, tell us an, a brief synopsis of your books. Okay, sure. Uh, Penury City means extreme poverty. So the first book is really about pretty much modern man. The, the novel takes place in the year 2054. So it takes place in the future. And in the future, it's a very secularized society. We've taken God out of everything in our world today. He's out of the government. He's out of you know, our judicial system. He's out of our schools, mm -hmm. kind of out of our family planning, out of all aspects of life. We keep removing God. 
And so the first novel is really, what is it like living in a society without God? So that's the extreme poverty of living without God. What does that look like? So the first novel takes us through um, the extremes of what our, our earth, our society looks like living in such a world. And we follow these characters. Um, each of these characters comes from, there's one main, main character, Saul. And Saul is a doctor working for the government. And in the future, how it works is that the government has to approve any procreation. So if you want to have children, you have to submit mm. a request to the government. And then they start to ask you some questions. You have to meet all these criteria and these tests and different things. So they do things like, you know, they check your DNA, they check all your health, they check your IQ, you know, these mm -hmm. physical characteristics. And if you don't pass the tests, then you don't get to have children. Mm. And so, so what Saul does is he's a doctor. And if there's any pregnancies in this modern world that the government hasn't approved, they're forced aborted. Mm. So this doctor performs these forced abortions on anyone who hasn't been approved. So that's kind of the, I guess, the <laughs> very dark uh, world mm -hmm. that we're kind of heading towards. And, in, and then in the second uh, trilogy, we follow these same characters from the first in, in the second book where they've had enough of that world and they leave it. They're trying to pursue something different. And there's always this rumor that's floating around about this mystical city where there's faith and freedom, the promise of that, where people don't have to submit to these kinds of things. And so our main character, Saul, uh, the woman that he lives with, they were just denied um, to have children. And so Janice is her name that Saul is with, she takes off to search out this mystical city. And Saul is so crushed by this because she's the only good thing that really is in his life. She's his anchor. And so when she leaves, he chases after her. Mm. And in the pursuit of that, he ends up meeting a person of faith along the road. And she starts to help him understand uh, you know, the scripture and the salvation of humanity and the whole story. And though he's he's very skeptical and he's you know, a man of science and he's a learned mm -hmm. man, he, he doesn't take very, uh, it takes a lot of convincing <laughs> before she's able to start to break through through him. So that second book is really about when you come to know God, so it's the extreme poverty of, you start to empty yourself out of all the things that are holding you back from really knowing God. And once you do that, and you, and you have that extreme poverty, just, well, I've given all of myself up. Now God can start filling in um, that, that empty space with, with the good things that you need. So that's really a second, the whole second book is really about the catechizing of, of Saul. And then the last uh, book, the third novel, is well once you do that once god starts filling in his promises and his goodness then you start living in a divine life and that's also an extreme poverty in a way because you no longer care about what happens tomorrow 
you know that God will just take care of things for you. Not that they're going to be easy, but that you can rely on, he's going to make sure that the best things are going to happen for you, for your salvation, that you're going to be with him. It's not going to be an easy life, it'll probably be a hard life. But it's going to be a joyful life in that there's an adventure to it. I mean, we're, we're all called to go on this great adventure and mission. Mm-hmm. He created us perfect for the time that we're in today with the talents and wherever we are today to do some kind of mission for today. And, and that's what we each have to do is try to find out, well, what is that adventure for me? What am I supposed to do? And most of us, I think, are just afraid to take the adventure. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us know what it is. Um, and once, and once we, we, we know what that is, we're afraid of it because it requires a bit of trust. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a lot of us have a hard time relinquishing our control and what we want and our desires for the thing that we're supposed to be doing. But once we do that, we're then living in this extreme poverty of, well, I can completely rely on God to make sure that if I'm doing the things I'm supposed to be doing, then he'll make sure that that road it's not easy, but things will be there for me that I need, you know, whether to take care of myself, mm-hmm. my family, whatever it is I'm going to need to do. And so then we're living as, you know, as a child who's dependent on their father to provide for them what is needed as long as we keep following him. I love that. I love how you show the progression of Saul, too, in, the, in your books. Like, beginning, obviously, he was the doctor that had to perform these abortions, so he probably didn't have a lot of faith. And then his right. things happen along the way and God kind of calls to him like whispers. And then all of a sudden you hear the, the loud calling of him. Like you said, God will whisper something, his plan. And, and when you're not obeying it, he'll like put it in front of you and let you know that, Hey, you're supposed to be right. listening to what I'm saying. So you right. did it perfectly. Now, what made you decide to write this book? Because it's like not something that you would normally read in Christian fiction. Uh, yeah, like I said, it was it was pretty much God tell me that when I was when I was writing another secular, it's like I couldn't finish that book. <laughs> I couldn't even really start it. I kept getting these strong inspirations to write this other uh, series. So, I mean, you can't say no once once God is telling you to do something. So. Now, do you have any one of your books with you? I do. Do you want to read a part of it? One of them, so people can kind of get hook them in so they want to buy <laughs> <laughs> of course well this is this is the first one so i'll, I'll read a little uh a little excerpt from this um so maybe just to give uh a little setup to this um so i was saying uh the story takes place in the future in 2054 and the doctor is, is saul kreish and he's going after janice and there's also um, there's also this woman, uh, this woman who is she's also kind of mystical in herself, in which uh, she seems to know the way on how to get to the city. And so he has to find this this woman and um, figure out well where did where did Janice go? How I need to find Janice. I need to find this woman first, who seems to have the way to uh, Penury City. So he goes into, um, so there's a place in Chicago, it's called Lower Wacker Drive. And it's a very 
in the future, it's also a very impoverished part of the town. So it's a very kind of seedy place. It's, it's not a place that you want to go to at night um, by yourself, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, walking around. So he's going in this kind of really dark, um, impoverished place uh, looking for this uh, woman who's always usually there because she hands out bread and things to the, uh, to the poor people. He slowly walked over to a trash container and tossed the man's coat inside. Something fell out of it and struck the pavement, making the tinny sound of metal hitting. Clank, clink, clink. The sound echoed off the walls, but then faded quietly into the street. Saul bent down to pick it up. It was a small, round, silver metal object that had an inscription written on it. The darkness of the corner was too great to read it, so Saul moved under one of the few street lights. With the yellowish light, he was able to make out the letters A, B, E, and the silver metal. Av, Saul said aloud. The instant he said it, there was a soft blue light coming from just behind him, and he quickly turned to see a woman dressed in a white dress with a blue overlay. She wore a shawl on her head that fell around her face and neck. It is pronounced Ave, Saul. You are Maria, he asked. I am. I want to go to the city to find my Janice. Should you find her, what then? I want to talk to her. I want to apologize for my behavior. I can give her your message. There is no need for you to go, Maria said, and started to turn away. No, please, wait, please. Maria turned back around and looked directly into Saul's eyes. He felt her penetrating stare deep inside of his body, almost as if it were cutting into his very heart. You ask something more of me? Which some, what could someone who has thought so little of infant life possibly have to say to the mother of man? Saul had never felt so uncomfortable in all his life. It was a feeling of fear, of deep sorrow, and utter embarrassment which all of his insights were going to implode upon themselves, and he would simply cease to exist. Everything appeared to him as dark as night, and there was a cold emptiness in his heart. However, upon searching through all of the shadow and fear, he found there was still a shimmer of light, and with that very small portion of hope came a shred of courage. Wow. Wow. I love that how you ended it. I, that was the perfect one because it's like, wow, shred of courage. And then people got to realize you have to read the books to find out where the courage is, <laughs> right? What, what, what he has right. to go through. You built it up really well. Now, you talk good. about how your writing reflects old fashioned values. So let's talk about some of the values that you reflect in your writing. Sure. Um, so, for me, at least, those values are faith, uh, family, freedom. Uh, love and sacrifice. Um, I mean, faith is what, you know, starts, starts everything. You need faith. And it isn't blind faith. It's faith is, is trust in something that you have carefully thought out, you know, in, in your mind, and in your heart. It's not something that you just say, well, I have no idea. I'm just going to have faith that it'll, everything will just work out. Right. It, that's not what faith is. 
it's not it's not when you don't understand something that you're just going to go with the flow <laughs> and have faith that something's going to happen good for you faith is really with whatever your capacity might be to learn and understand and truly um, contemplate the message you know, that's in the gospel and because jesus when he came he gave us the true I guess the indication and the personality of our father. This is who the father is. And he showed us that. And he also said he was God. So now there's only you know, two choices. Either you, you read all that he has to say and, and you read all the people who knew him and all what they had to say. And then you start to make a choice of, well, are you gonna believe he is who he said he was? And if you do, well, then you have to follow him. And if you don't, well, then you're throwing away whatever he has to offer. Mm-hmm. And then family, family is very important as well because family's the domestic church. It's where we encounter God for the first time. And you can't have a global church mm-hmm. and expect that to be holy if our domestic churches are not mm-hmm. holy because the people who fill those other churches yeah. <laughs> are coming from our families in our domestic church. So we need to get the family domestic church right first, and then we can build up the rest of God's church. I think we've lost that a lot in modern day is we have a lot of broken families and we need to try to bring that back together. And then freedom is well, one of God's greatest gifts to us mm-hmm. is he could have I mean, he could have made us just kind of little puppets yeah, he could <laughs> string have. And, and it would have been a whole lot better because he would have been making all the decisions and the world would have been a great place. But you can't have true love without having true freedom because it has to be a choice. Um, and that's that's really a part of our divinity is to be able to have that freedom to choose. Mm-hmm. And then love. It's funny because love is one of those words that everybody likes to throw around, Mm -hmm. but hardly anyone understands the definition of what love is. And the Greeks had, I think, seven different um, terms for for the different types of love. There's storge for family, there was eros for um, the the romantic love between between spouses. There was the, the friendship kind of love in agape love, which is compassion. But really, even those, they don't give you a good definition of, well, what is love exactly? What does it mean to love? Mm -hmm. And love really is, is when you will the good of another person, not for your sake, but for theirs. Mm -hmm. And then you're willing to do something about it. So that requires a sacrifice. Mm -hmm. You can't just say, well, I will all the good in the world for you and then see ya. Yep. <laughs> well, no, no, you, now you just committed. You, you have to do something now. What, how are you going to help them achieve the good for themselves? And that requires a sacrifice on your part. So you have to give up some time. You have to give up money. You have to give up space. You have to give up something of yourself in order to help that other person achieve the good that you mm-hmm. just willed them. And then lastly, well, sacrifice also is but once you do 
do start to love your fellow man. You know, you start with your families and move on to your friends. And you start moving out your circle mm -hmm. of those that you can love. Because it's difficult to love people. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's very difficult. People are complicated. They're, they're hard. We miscommunicate continuously. And so it's hard to do that. So you really have to sacrifice a lot of yourself and be willing to have a lot of humility. And you know when you've gotten there, when you can even love your enemies, mm -hmm. you can will their good. And even when they're doing all kinds of tormenting things to you, you can still will their good. And you could try to do something about that. And that's how you know that it is true love and not any kind of self selfish love. Yeah, I love that. Now, in that same thread, why did you decide to create your own publishing company? Was it because you had more control, you had more free will to do what you want? Like, is that <laughs> part of your values? You know, your old fashioned values, your being able to put out what you want? Well, not just. Um, I, I don't like mistakes. <laughs> and I found that when when you go with traditional publishers or, or just other different publishing companies, there's always a cost to putting another edition out there. Mm -hmm. And you can't always get it right the first time or even the second, third or fourth time. It Sometimes it, you know, as you're reading through the book and you're like, oh, I, that was a mistake. I, I used the wrong word, it's whatever. And they would say, well, that's okay. The readers probably won't notice. It doesn't affect the context of what, what you're saying. So it's not a big deal. And they wouldn't let you correct it. Well, that drove me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so that was one aspect. Uh, the other aspect is you, they control all the marketing. And so sometimes they don't put what your, they don't put your message or your book in a light that you might have put it in. Mm. They might use just to try to get more sales. They'll, the message won't be what you would want it to be. So that's the other reason is I can control the marketing message. Mm -hmm. I can be truthful in what it is and what it isn't. And I don't have to rely on people maybe misrepresenting what it is. Because obviously with faith-based faith books, well, that's a mouthful. Um, you don't want it misrepresented at all because you don't want people to get the wrong idea about faith at all. Right, exactly. So your publishing company, how hard was it to set it up? Um, it's, it's, you learn a lot. So I've had it since 2006, but really haven't, because I always worked full-time in, mm -hmm. I had a full-time job. So it was always just this little side thing that I did. Um, but lately I've been working more because I'm heading towards retirement mm -hmm. and now I can dedicate with that. I can dedicate more time to this. And so now I've started actually throwing some more dollars at the publishing company, doing things more, I guess the right way, <laughs> getting more people involved to help me do things the right way. I, I have limitations. There's only so much mm -hmm. I can learn. Um, so I need a lot of help to, in yep. all the areas where I'm lacking. Now, are you just going to 
stay publishing your own books? Or are you going to branch out and publish other authors' books as well? Uh, where wherever the Lord you know takes me, that's. I mean, there's always that idea of well, uh, you know, I, I can help other authors who are in the same boat as I was. Mm-hmm. But that also, it gets hard because then that means you have to read other people's work mm-hmm. and then start making judgment calls on other people's work on, well, does this fit the message that I want to convey with the publishing company that I have set up? And that's that's always hard to do because mm-hmm. you want to give everyone opportunities to get their work published as well because I think all work has value. But there's always that line of, well, just because it has value, it doesn't mean that they're following the rules. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's that whole inclusion principle, right? It's like, well, the church welcomes everybody into the church. The church isn't going to change its rules mm-hmm. because you don't want to adhere to them because that's not love either. Love is I need to will your good. And if you're doing things that are not good for you, then as hard as that is, I'm sorry, (laughs) but until you can, you know, it's like people who like alcoholism, if, if someone, you know, and you care about is an alcoholic, you're not going to buy them drinks. Even, you know, you're not going to give them money so they can buy drinks. Mm -hmm. You have to really, it's a hard place to be in, in order to will their good. Sometimes you have to see them totally fail in order for them to hit that rock bottom before they turn around again. That's a hard Mm -hmm. thing to do. So when you are writing your books and you're obviously editing it because you're publishing it yourself, do you ever say, okay, I can't edit my own books. I have to farm them out to a certain editor or that way. Oh, Yeah. I'm a, um, I have two different editors. I have a content editor who's also uh, very Christian based. And then I have a technical editor who helps. And even then there's, you still end up catching like mistakes. It depends <laughs> on how good the story is. Sometimes when, when the story is, is really good, um, they'll read over the mistakes, <laughs> <laughs> especially like the good parts of the story, you know, and mm-hmm. like, they'll catch the ones that the story is, I'm not saying not good, but it, it's not as good as like the climate. It's not as part. juicy as the right. The juicy and part when they're reading story. through those juicy parts, they're just, they read over the same errors that I wrote. So it, it gets, it gets complicated. Have they, has there ever been one time that one of the editors suggested that you cut part of the book and you're like, no, I want that in. That is, I wrote those words. I'm not taking them out. Oh yeah. We, we have our little debates back and forth. Like, no, I'm not changing that word. I use that word specifically. It has a specific meaning. In it. <laughs> it's like, nope. Uh, there is one thing that uh, I was working with another um another editor and it's one i like i like the old-fashioned books like when i read for enjoyment on my own i usually don't read anything before after the 60s it's usually all the older the classical stuff and i like the narration that used to be today it's well you can't you can't have this godlike narrator that sits on top mm-hmm. and tells the story you have to tell the story through characters. And sometimes that gets, it gets really complicated to keep those types of things 
um, progressing the story along because you yeah. start to lose track of wait who's t who's telling what where mm -hmm. and you have this whole time thing where you're and so I mean if it was a movie it would be a lot easier because you'd have yeah. the visuals to help you but when you're reading it sometimes you get lost in that I think if I had to do it over again I would have put the God narrator because I don't have a problem with God looking over my shoulder narrating mm -hmm. the story for me <laughs> So, yeah, so that would you, be one of the things I would change. So do you think that this maybe could be made into a Christian-based film, your trilogy books in Finnery City? Sure. I think any story could be made, um, you know, in, into the movie. I, I wrote a script for one of my other novels, and it was it was amazing to me that when I just wrote this, the actual movie script, it was 600 pages using the movie script format. And I had to cut it down to 120 pages. I'd never realized how much they took out of books when they wrote, you know, when you do a movie for a book. Wow. That's a lot of pages. It's <laughs> a lot of pages. So now you know how much you're missing when they write, when they do a movie from a book. Yeah, because you obviously sometimes people say the book is so much better than the movie or the movie was so much better than the book because they get to embellish a little bit more in the movie right. and they pick and choose like things in the move and the book from the book but they don't actually place them in the timeline the way they went in the book that they kind of lump them all together right they try to make the best movie possible to keep your attention and let's face it when you're reading novels you need a lot of background information so it's not mm -hmm. always at the edge of your seat you know heart pumping movie going type of action it's it's slow sometimes it's tedious to get through but you're glad that you got through it because you need that background i mean life's kind of tedious right we, we don't live life that way why should we expect our uh, our art to be that way that's the truth now what is up next for you are you writing anything right now that you want to share um sure uh I mean, there, there's this idea that I could continue the trilogy and write another trilogy because the story has a way of continuing on. But right now I'm not really, I'm focused on trying to deliver this message first. And so if that's God's plan is, okay, well, let's, let's write the next part, then that's what I'll do. But really right now it's, it's more of trying to promote God's message, try to get people back trying to understand that God is here in the present, mm -hmm. even though we're going through all of these tough times right now. And it's hard to see God, but God is here with us and he wants to talk to us. <laughs> we just have to uh, be able to listen mm -hmm. because he is here and, and we can talk with him. We just need to take that next step because he's not going to force his way in. Yep. And sometimes with all the fear and the anxiety and all that's going on, we forget to ask. You know, we forget to ask him for help and tell him yep. what's going on. That is so true. Did you ever go back and finish that other book, the secular book that you're writing? Or is that still on the back burner? No, I just that's that's in a folder on my computer somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one day you'll be led to go back and rewrite write it finished it up. Uh, and I, and I, uh, I did write a uh, companion book uh, to the trilogy titled The Pesher. 
and in Hebrew that the pressure means um, interpretation. And so what it does is it goes, it has a lot of um, the rationale behind behind why I wrote the book and why I wrote different parts of the book. It has a lot of more deeper theology concepts that are in the book. Um, because while I was writing it, I was reading a lot of scripture and reading a lot of theology books. It's kind of written like how the Bible's written. You can read it for just the story itself on the top layer, or you can drill down into multiple layers. And there's a lot of really great theological concepts within those layers. And what was the odd part about some of that was that as I was writing it, I didn't realize that's what was happening. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I went back and started doing these editing thing, you know, editing the book. And I read, was reading it. And I'm like, wait a minute, I didn't even know this concept until way later. Mm-hmm. So how did this even get in here? in here like that so that's how i knew you know well i was kind of just the pencil and and god was doing the writing right i'd love how things like that happen and and especially in real life where like you're reading a bible verse and then next day in in a conversation with friends or something that's saying something around that same tone of that verse comes up and then you pick up a book and then it's in the book and you're like okay i get it god you're sending me all these messages i really (laughs) need to start paying attention to it right yeah, he, uh, when he wants to give us something, he's he's not subtle. <laughs> no, he's not. It's like boom right there in your face. Right. I mean, sometimes he gives us little nudges, but if we're not paying attention, then it's, yeah, subtlety wears off quickly. Now, um, our time is almost up. Is there one last little nugget that you want to leave us with before we start talking about where we can find your books and where we can find you? Um. Yeah, I just want to remind people that, you know, God loves you. He created you perfect. He delights in you. He created you to receive love and to give love. So there's no reason to fear. Just follow God home. And if you can along the way, help your brothers and sisters. I love that. Now let's talk about where we can find you first. Sure. So, well, my website is um, woundedcrowpublishing.com. Um, if that's too hard to remember, you can also remember um, penurycity.com. And that'll just hyperlink you to Wounded Crow Publishing. All of my social media, uh, you can email me from that site. Um, all the links are there to, to get to me in one way or the other. And you also have a coupon code for listeners and viewers. I do. Um, you, you can put in the, the code and you get 20% off. Uh, the bundles. So you can either choose the the three book bundle, or you can choose the three book bundle along with the companion book, the pressure, um, either one of those. Uh, there's no limit on quantity. There is a limit on the, the user. So one user goes in one time and buy as many as you want, but and you mm-hmm. get 20% off. It's great. Christmas is coming around. And if you've got someone that really loves to read, I highly suggest getting these books, especially if they love to read Christian based books. Right. And the code for those that don't see it on the screen is block cabin one word. So put it in that and you'll be able to get 20% off. And Thomas, I want to thank you for coming on and for sharing your writing talents, for sharing your love of God and love of people. 
um, with everyone, because it certainly came through in this interview. You know, you seem like at the lowest point in your life is when you found God. And I think that I think a lot of people can actually relate to your story. Okay, well, good. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Okay, guys, um, like I said, I put everywhere in the show notes where you can find Thomas as well as the discount code, which is good till December 23rd. So it's a great Christmas present. And as always, be blessed. And most importantly, keep chatting. See you later. Bye. Bye. Chats from the blog cabin. We not only have voices for a podcast, but also faces for YouTube. Don't miss your next episode.